hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of What's the Point podcast here at Waypoint Church. Excited to be with you all this morning. My name is Pastor Lawrence, and I'm joined today by Pastor Danny and Rob. And uh, we've got a wonderful treat um, in store for you guys today. Uh, first of all, you guys know who Pastor Danny is, but you're like, Rob, who is Rob? Rob, if you don't mind, quickly tell us a little bit about yourself. And we know that you wrote our newest uh, blog post, and so that's already been out. And so um, you know you're a student of the Word. So tell us about yourself and tell, you, tell us about how you kind of became such a student of the Word. Uh, yeah, it uh, it started when I was younger. Uh, my mom was a huge influence. Family grew up Christian family, Christian home. Um, she would always put us as kids in another room and tell us, "I'm going to go have God time. You guys figure out what you want to do for the next thirty <laughs> minutes." You know, and I think John so, <laughs> Wesley's mom and Charles Wesley's mom did that too. So that's a good thing. So we knew at a very very young age that there were more important things in the world than than us, you know, mainly God and the relationship. And uh, as as I grew uh, grew older, you know, it became maybe more ritualistic. Uh, but, uh, you know, per the, the blog, the testimony, uh, in college something changed. Um, I had seen one of my friends who was passionate about God, and she had known God for since she was a kid, but she was passionate, and uh, I thought to myself, you know, it's normally newer believers who are passionate. You know, why is why is she still passionate? Normally, the passion kind of turns into something else. It turns into a maturity, and you slow down, but she wasn't slowing down at all, and uh, it really made me think, like, you know, is there something wrong with what I got if, you know, this is how I view it? And so I asked her, I said, what, what has you so passionate? And she quoted a scriptural promise you know, that Jesus said is, uh, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock on the door will be opened. And so I, I started out asking. Uh, and then all of a sudden, I've, you know, I, was, I was put in this classroom where you know, the testimony from the blog starts where I you know, turned to Philippians 3 and I'm like, wow, you know, Paul... Paul went to church, he went, he read his Bible, he prayed, you know, but at the same time he counted his works as nothing considered with kind of his friendship with God and the righteousness that comes through faith. So that's, it stems from, you know, asking God and then the Holy Spirit, you know, working and then God providing a situation that Oh. That's awesome. That's really encouraging. Yeah, that's really good, Rob. So, Rob, tell us a little bit. Um, are you married? What do you do for a living? And how did you end up here in the Triangle? Uh, yeah, Irina's school brought us here. We were praying together. Uh, I wanted uh, when I picked a wife, I uh, I made sure to pick one who prays. So <laughs> then, uh, you know, when when we have disagreements and stuff, she goes to God, I go to God, and we depend on God to bring unity. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those kind of points of unity was as to where to go to school. You know, Minnesota was all I ever knew, so you know, I I want to stay in Minnesota. Otherwise, you know, California sounds good, or <laughs> Israel sounds good too. You know, so you are a student of the Bible. Huh? You want to go straight to the source, huh? Uh, yeah, no, De- Deuteronomy. God is like pumped talking about the land, you know, and so it's like God loves this land. There's you know, good so, dental schools in Israel. I, I have no clue. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we all figure that out. But anyhow, um, we were. 
uh, we were praying. I wasn't really feeling, you know, North Carolina. She was very excited about it. She visited, prayed through it, you know, very excited. And so I was like, I'll pray too. And so we prayed together. All of a sudden I got excited about it as we're praying. And I'm like, okay, that's different than what I know, you know. So I think maybe that's God, you know, bringing us to unity. And so that's how we came to North Carolina. So she's finishing dental school, correct? Uh Uh-huh. Here at UNC? She's a year and a half in. Okay. Uh, but it's not dental school, though. She's finishing her master's. Master's. Endo. Endo, that's endodonics. right. Endodonics. Okay. Because she already did dental school. She's not finishing okay. her master's in endodonics. Yep. Well, we have a lot of degrees in this church. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of people in a lot of school. It's a good thing. Okay. She's she's really smart, too. So <laughs> That's awesome. So, okay, as a recent transplant then to the Triangle, what's your favorite thing now about living in the Triangle? Uh, around Christmas time, I walked around the apartment outside in shorts and sandals. That is something <laughs> you do in Minnesota. Minnesota. You, do not, Carolina, you do not do that in Minnesota. <laughs> That's so. good. Well, actually, Danny, you're kind of newer to than I am to the triangle. What's your favorite yeah, thing? Yeah, I've been here about nine years. I think my favorite thing is that there's three, four major, there's major universities right here. Mm. So there's sporting events, there's activities going on, there's college students in the air. And there's always something related to academics to go to lectures, uh, performances. Uh, I just really like that. Uh, I like the fact that just major universities, and all three are very different. One's kind of like the state liberal arts school. One's the state, you know, engineering and land grant school, and one's a more private kind of bigger school. I mean, a school with a bigger grad school. And so I, I just like that environment. It's it's just been fun being in a place like that. That's cool. So how about you? You've been here what about? 12, 12, 13 yeah, years. Yeah, 12, 13 okay. years. Yeah, yeah. Um, honestly, I love the feel of how it's a combination of you have what you want in a big city, yeah. but it's not a big city. That's why I, I used to live in Atlanta. I was like, this is like a mic, all the cool stuff of Atlanta, but not nearly exactly. as crowded. I don't, have to, I don't have to worry about rush hour that I did in Atlanta or, yeah, yeah. or even D- Northern Virginia, D.C. It has a feel of everything that I want in bigger cities, good food scenes, you know, good, cool places to go to, but I have to deal with all the big city stuff. Yeah, but so, I'm afraid they're all coming, and it's right, going to be. And, and the land gonna, is still like I love the fact that they're still like like I'm really close to the beach still. The mountains yeah. are still close by. Yeah. There's woods everywhere, so it's not all paved over. So that's kind of what I like about the the triangle. Awesome. Well, everyone, we're going to be diving into our Bible study reading plan, and I hope everybody who's listening, I hope you've been really enjoying your time in the Bible study reading plan, and I hope this podcast can kind of help supplement um, with a little bit more understanding, a little more passion into what we're reading about. We're diving into First Chronicles and Second Samuel, and that's just. Honestly, not sometimes not the easiest um, in our reading, especially oftentimes Chronicles comes for us after First Samuel, and you feel like, wait a minute, sometimes this is some of the similar stuff, and you're like, oh, am I reading this again? What's going on? And so we're jumping in this, and we're we're, we're jumping to First Samuel to uh, First Chronicles in the Bible reading plan. Why is that the way? It's not like that in the Bible. So, Danny, why does the reading plan make us go that way? So I based our Bible reading plan on this two-year plan by. It's based on a Scottish guy from like 150 years ago, like named McShane or something. He he was the the original guy to come up with the the two year Bible reading plan. And then I found a church in Atlanta that was had altered his, and then I altered ours. But one thing that they all had in common was after First Samuel to jump to Chronicles because there there is some intentionality here, and Chronicles is specifically showing us who David is and this Messiah King, and and there it pointing us to why David's really important 
and it's also showing us the prep, the temple. Now, Chronicles was actually written after the exile, so it's 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 written much later than, uh, and it's about, but it covers from Adam all the way to literally the point they are in the exile. So why do we do it in the Bible reading plan? And so I know some of you are frustrated because you're like, wow, Samuel's kind of getting exciting, learning more about David. Boom, now I'm reading a bunch of genealogies again. And you'll notice that once you get through the genealogies, they're important. And why they're important is because they're allowing these people in exile to know who they were and who they came from. Because they are, they got scattered during the exile when the Babylonians and the Assyrians took them and pulled them out of their land. So as they come back, so in most uh, Bible teachers would say, just read through this. You don't have to get commentary out. Just read it and kind of be familiar uh, with this, with these genealogies. But notice in the genealogies, notice the importance of it's pointing you toward David, and it's also which is the tribe of Judah, and it's also pointing you toward Levi and the and the priestly tribe because it's trying to prepare the people in exile with this idea that they need a they need a good king and they need the temple to be functioning properly, and they need to remember who they are as God's people. So why are we doing it now? Just because it, when, once we get through the genealogies, it jumps right to the story of David, and there's some parallels to this and uh, what we're reading and what we'll read in first and into 2 Samuel. So like you said, you mentioned that this is written post-exile um, here. Yeah. The, it, actually, the Hebrew Bible isn't the book of Chronicles written as the last book. Yeah, the, the Bible ends, the Hebrew Bible ends with the book of Chronicles, the scrolls, the original scrolls, mm-hmm. and it ends in an incomplete sentence, which is fascinating. Our English Bible comes from the Greek translation, and it ends with Malachi, which is probably the last thing written. It's the last prophecy. So it's okay. It's not like one is better than the other, but it is, it is good to note, yes, the Chronicles is kind of the end of, of the original Hebrew scrolls. It's right. the final scroll. So it's interesting. That it starts from Adam and yeah. then it ends. It ends with them anticipating and waiting for this, this yeah. king and this time when the temple, when, when, and it, in the Chronicles, and I'll just go ahead and jump to the next question. One cool thing about the Chronicles is it shows that whereas Kings and Samuel show like a long-term God's patience and, and God giving them blessing, but also like being patient with them and in their sin. But Chronicles shows that if you are faithful to God in one generation, in that generation, he will actually bless the people. And he's trying to give them that hope in, uh, in coming out of exile. He's like, it's not going to take 400 years. If you guys really, you know, honor the king and the king honors me and you guys honor the temple and the, the priests truly honor me and you honor me with your heart and your lives and, and do the justice and do the things I've called you to do to be my kingdom, it, it can happen now and the nations will come. Like it wasn't like, a f- like God really told them you could do this and the Chronicles is written in a way to encourage them in that. That's really cool. Rob, what do you, what do you like about the book of Chronicles? You know, I... As as far as chronicles go, I kind of blend chronicles with Samuel's and the story. So you, of David. you read them like parallel, kind of like we would read the Gospels. Like you, uh, yeah. You, you I, look at the account of David and Chronicles. Look at the account of David and Samuel. Uh, yeah. So I I think they they all kind of blend together in my mind. I I love reading about David wherever wherever it is. I love reading about uh, you know that how God responds to His people, mm-hmm. and you see that in the Chronicles. You see that. Samuels. What, what is it about David that's that makes that strikes us as such a? I mean, he's such a character, right? I mean, what is it about David himself though that resonates so with so much of us, so many of us? Do you think uh, David? Uh, 
you know, he's uh, he's kind of the least of them, right? The least of the brothers. And yeah. you have Samuel saying, you know, God doesn't look at the outside. God looks at the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it, uh, you know, David, like all of us, you know, we're all flawed people, mm-hmm. you know, but God gives us all a chance to have a relationship with him. You know, he gives us all a chance to have, you know, him write our story and have us have a God-sized story, which David goes from being, you know, just a normal everyday guy to all of a sudden he's the king responsible for so many things, you know, because of his heart. Mm, and good. God chose him. Yeah, you know, for me, I, I, it resonates for me as I look at the story of David. And I love what you're saying. He's the he's the forgotten brother, the underdog guy who becomes his king. But what I love is his depth, breadth of emotion that you see kind of displayed in the book of Psalms. Hmm. You know, he goes from like unbelievable joyful to like, Man, I'm just really down. You know, like, oh, this world is terrible and dogs are surrounding me to like praise him with every instrument there is to praise him with. You know, yeah. I just love that. He just really, he seems to be someone who's willing to understand and express his emotions. And then you look at his life and you see, well, well, yeah, that makes sense. He's had such, a, such an intriguing and such an interesting life. You know, so I love that about David. Yeah, and even the Bible reading plan, the Psalms that we're reading along the way mm-hmm. follow David. So it's like Psalms that he wrote as we're reading the account. So it's it, hopefully you guys are starting to see, especially for you, this is your first time to read through the Bible, starting to put some of the puzzle pieces together. But again, I want to remind you that your first read through of the Bible, you're not going to get everything, and that's okay. You're just starting to starting to get excited about it and learn it, but you will notice a lot, and you'll begin to notice patterns of God's faithfulness. And uh, in as you learn more about David, David is definitely the guy that is is the central figure, you know, in this at this point in the narrative. And God wants us to know a lot about his emotions and how he loves God and how he falls for God. And there's a lot of information and stories about David and Chronicles and Samuel, but are there differences? I mean, they both tell the story of David, multiple stories of David, but are there differences, Danny? I, I have a question oh, yeah. for you guys real quick. Um, in, the, in the Kings, it says, uh, it talks about, and the, and the rest of the things he does, are they not written in the, the annals of the kings of mm-hmm. Israel, yeah. annals of the kings of Judah? Is this, is Chronicles what we're looking at with some of those references because it's not it's not yeah. the kings of Israel right? right these are Judean kings but yeah s- some people believe that there there, there might have been a source yeah you know? that there's probably some other things written um, yeah so I think it's there's no concrete exactly what it is but there it might have even been more closer to that time you okay. know or it could have been some 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 in between the original account and the chronicler and then those things are not part of what what were considered the hebrew scripture but they they existed so the scribes continue to write it write it down and yeah i i would say i tend to on those not know but it could it could be referring to the the scroll the chronicle scrolls and for those of you guys listening chronicles was originally what we call first and second chronicles was actually so big it was on two scrolls but a Hebrew person would a, a Hebrew scholar would have thought of it as one scroll. It wouldn't have been thought of as two. It would have been thought of as one consecutive scroll. Yeah. And some scholars believe there's just some source materials that could have been used by both chroniclers, chroniclers. And, and the king and whatever. So it could have been some sort of historical source material that might have been. For example, we, even we see in the story of Esther, you see the king 
um, even though that wasn't an Israelite king, you still see a king keeping records. You know, read me what yeah. edicts I've said in the past, which was a common practice in the ancient Near East of somebody, a scribe or someone keeping records of what the king does. And, and, and if they could have lost the law itself before Josiah... Probably good kings and bad kings might have burned records of guys they didn't like. We mm-hmm. definitely know the northern kings were were bad, so we don't really know. But right. probably the record. But the good thing is, and this is what we want to reiterate over and over again with you guys as we're looking at the Old Testament into the New Testament, is that God's the Spirit was in all these edits. The Spirit was in all the preservation of exactly what we have, and Jesus says every word of it is perfect. And exactly what we need. And that's the other beautiful thing as we're going to the similarities, because there's a bunch of similarities in the story of Samuel's and Chronicles about David, David's stories, but there is a significant differences as well. Yeah, and the main difference is, is that the Chronicles is trying to prepare them post-exile to say, like, this David-like king, your present king, Zerubbabel, or, uh, you know, could be, and you, you can be, you can do what David did. If you're faithful... So he's trying to focus on the positive things that David did to show the faithfulness of God. He's not saying ignore the flaws of David or ignore the flaws of Saul because those are already written. They already had what we call First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. So, and they even ignore all the northern kingdoms because all those kings were bad. But they, they focus on some of the flaws of the southern kings too. But it's, it's a book with an intentionality to show that that if you follow God, God will honor you, and he will make Jerusalem great, and he will bring the nations to you. And the fulfillment of these promises that go back to the garden and go back to Noah, and specifically with Abraham and Moses, they can be yours. And the, the Chronicle really wants them to see that. So the stories of David are to to show that. He's choosing specific accounts. And even there's some accounts that add that show some other parts of David. And maybe those came from some of those documents that you referred to, Rob, about David that weren't in, in Samuel. But the Chronicler likes to highlight them to get, to get the people excited about what God could do if they really trust him. I think the beautiful thing that we need to understand when it comes to Scripture is that it doesn't mean they contradict each other. It doesn't mean that it's it's wrong or anything. What it means is God is using unique writers in their unique circumstances by divinely using their where they're at in their life to write this beautiful, cohesive book together. And God's purpose in the book of Chronicles is to show the messianic line, but also to show David's stories that revolve around the building of the temple in the city. The temple, yes, that's, that's very... And so that's the beautiful thing about it is that he created almost like a... Uh, where in Samuel, he's never really presented as a Moses-type figure. In Chronicles, there's a little bit Moses element to him of kind of building up the temple again. Like Moses Moses has to has all these preparations for the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. I think most of us, when we think about Moses, we think, let my people go, get right. out. But we forget, as I, you guys probably noticed in the Bible reading plan, most of Leviticus <laughs> and Deuteronomy and, and you know, Exodus is, is how to build this tabernacle, how to, how to have a place where God can dwell with you. How about you, Rob? How are you? You know, you're 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 shake, shaking your head over there. Tell us your thoughts on David and the presentation in both First uh, and Second Samuel into Chronicles, and kind yeah. of as you studied the Word, what God's been teaching you about David. I love David's heart. David's heart is to build up the temple. You know, to you know, j- jump out of the boat and <laughs> and see Jesus. Right. I think uh, um, you, you talk about Moses and the tabernacle and. God telling Moses, uh, build the tabernacle based off this pattern, right? And David had that pattern and passes down 
you know, David's not allowed to build the temple himself um, because there's too much blood on his hands, you know, and so he's allowed to uh, pass off the design to his son Solomon. And, you know, the design is based off this pattern, right? And, you know, even thinking of that pattern, you know, the church structure of today matches this pattern. So just thinking about, you know, our hearts for the church today, you know, are like David's heart, you know, back then to build the temple, you know, as we have a heart to build the church up, so we have a heart to dive in and, you know, tell God, you know, I'd rather spend one day in your temple than a thousand elsewhere, you know, a heart for the church, a heart for to spend time with God and his people is, you know, the heart for the temple. That's good. Wow, good stuff, man. That's why we brought you here, man. God is, yeah. It's it's really it's it's yeah I didn't I didn't even think of that you know I've read this and and kind of thought through this a lot you know and I at, even in this last prep for this I didn't even think about how the temple and, and the church but I think that's one thing that we need to realize that everything that that we have in the New Testament really is reflected I mean it comes from the Old Testament and is the Old Testament is is preparing us to be the church. And when Peter and, and James and John established the church, they really are establishing what they already knew. They're just the, Jerusalem, like the well, the Chronicles. I mean, the Chronicler when he comes and get when it's written and they, and they get this book, it was so that they could be this city on a hill that was going to go out and be Jerusalem could again be the light to the nations, could be all the the fulfill all the things that they should have fulfilled. And ultimately, we get to do that through the death and resurrection of Christ as his church. I think we can't overlook the theme of the temple. I mean, the yeah. motif and the theme of the temple throughout the whole book. You know, even even goes even before the temple itself, the theme of God dwelling amongst his people. Hmm. Yeah. And that whole, that's the message and the theme throughout the whole Bible, isn't it? Yeah. It starts with Eden, you know, God walking with the people in the cool of the day. It goes on to, we're losing that, but then the rebuilding of the temple, God dwelling. I mean, that's just an important theme that the chronicler and Chronicles is really trying to flesh out some more and it's really paints a picture of, hey, we might have lost our temple. We might have been exiled from our land. But we have a messianic king coming back, and we have a temple that we will rebuild. You know, and I think that's just beautiful. Then, then Jesus does something even more crazy, and he destroys the temple. Yeah, and then he he even calls himself the temple himself. Right. He, he says, you know, I'm the temple, and then Paul says the audacity to say that we're the temple, that right. the church becomes the temple. And John says, you know, Jesus tabernacles among the people, like he's the presence of God. You know, from from that that came to them at Sinai, you know, and came to them as they wandered in the wilderness. And right, that, the audacity to even say that the same spirit now lives in us. Yeah. The spirit same. that was in the tap, that was in the wilderness with that, them. That, you know? that was in the, yeah, in the tabernacle, in the Holy of Holies, in, in the, with God. It's good stuff. Yeah. So as we're diving into this, this reading plan, going back and forth between Kronk and Samuel, um, after the last podcast on First Samuel, Rob, as we've been going through the Old Testament all year, you had some thoughts on how you've, Learn to process the flaws and the faithfulness of key people in the Old Testament. The very people that Hebrew 12 calls great examples of faith. How have you grown to see the flawed yet faithful characters of the Old Testament like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David? Like in their original context in the light of the gospel of redemptive history, how have you come to see these flawed and faithful characters? I think, uh, you know, the flaws show the need for Jesus. Um, you know, if you look at every character in the Bible besides Jesus, there's... Uh, there's flaws to be found. 
Uh, if we're looking at the flaws, we're not going to be able to differentiate as much why uh, God likes one person over another. You know, Malachi talks about uh, Esau I hated, but Jacob I loved. And thinking of just this example of even Jacob and Esau, um, you know, Jacob, you know, it's it's easy to get get down on Jacob. There's a lot in there <laughs> yeah. on his flaws. People at Waypoint struggle with Jacob yeah. <laughs> when and, we read Genesis. And I think, uh, you know, thinking about Jacob, it, you know, just immediate, like, gospel stuff. Jesus says, you know, about uh, a man finds a pearl. You know, he sells everything he has and goes and buys buys the pearl. And it's like Jacob understood he recognized the pearl. He recognized the mm. relationship with God that mm. Abraham had, and he's like, "I I want that. You know, this is a blessing that's to me, and I'm gonna sell everything I have, including even my morals. You know, like <laughs> I I need this. And it's like, uh, how often do I have that drive that Jacob had? You know, like I need to grow in my relationship with God. I'm gonna wrestle with God all night until He gives me a better <laughs> relationship with Him." Um, you know, and that's, you know, the heart of Jacob is just this really stubborn, like, yeah, am I that stubborn in my relationship with God? Am I that stubborn to grow? That's good. I love that because instead of picking out the flaws, which we do all the time, I think that's what we do in our modern kind of understanding nowadays, yeah. is we pick out the flaws and be like, well, they just need Jesus, which is true, no denying, but we don't realize that they are patriarchs for a reason. And Jacob had this stubborn doggedness about him that says, I need God, which is which trumps, not necessarily makes right, but in some ways trumps other things in his life. But it, And I think that that's good news for us, too, because we know that even in our failures, it's it, at that moment, God wants faithfulness. Like, we can look back at all our failures and look back at all the things, ways we've let God down. And But at that moment, we can choose faithfulness. We can say, and if... The difference between someone like a Judas and someone like a Peter is really not the flaws they committed in the past, but at the moment they 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 turned back to God again, and they were like, "I'm okay, God. I'm going to trust you again. I'm going to trust you again." So I, I like you, yeah. I like how God's laid upon your heart to look at these characters and also focus on their faithfulness. Mm. Well, and what what can we be praying for for our own relationship? Yeah. But kind of like with my friend in college, where it's like, yeah, I like that aspect of her relationship with God, you know, we can look at the aspects, you know, the heart, the man after God's own heart that David is, mm-hmm. you know, and we can ask God, like, God, would you give me, you know, the yeah. heart of David? Mm-hmm. Would you give me the wisdom of Solomon? And that's good when we say the man after God's own heart. What was it about David's heart that wasn't man after God's own heart? And when we look at flawed, we see this comparison of Saul and David in First Second Samuel. If you do compare and contrast, they're both flawed. But why was David a man after God's own heart? What what was how did that play out? This contrast and comparing contrast between flawed and faithful with David and Saul. Uh, yeah, you see you see a clear contrast in Second Samuel where you have uh, Saul's daughter who takes after Saul, and David even calls her out and says, "You have, you know, the reasoning of your father here, you know, and this is the reason why God picked me." over your father is because I'm going to dance before the ark. I'm going to dance before, you know, Lord's presence. I'm going to get more excited about the Lord coming to this city and being with us. Um, You see Saul, you know, looking at the Philistine army, and this is kind of the real point where God, you know, is really regretting choosing Saul as king. 
uh, is this time where Saul is looking at the Philistine army uh, and decides to do the sacrifice himself. It kind of shows Saul's like looking to God as a good luck charm. You know, <laughs> we, we need God on our side as we do our thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas David's like, I'm living in a palace. God's living in a tent. We need to turn this around. We need to switch. Yeah. I need to be living in a tent. He needs to be in the palace. Yeah, and I, I, I think for me, yeah, like if you, if you do, if we focus too much on the flaws, first of all, we, we start puffing ourselves up. I mean, that's how you, I mean, that's our teenage problem. Like you make fun of other people to build yourself up. That's like the root of bullying and the root of, the root of pride. And, and the heart is to look at, wow, look at what God did for David and look at how excited David was for God. And, and yes, we do want to look at his flaws and say, yeah, he, he did have problems and his kids were a mess and, and, and God, God redeemed all of it. But yeah, I, I, like, I like what you're bringing to us, Rob. And, and that's why we need the body. That's one thing we've stressed is that even us as pastors, we might start focusing too much on one side of the narrative. But when we, when we all come to the scriptures and we read, we realize, man, I need, I need more of that. I need to look at Peter and David and, and James and John and, and notice their flaws, but also notice their faithfulness and notice how they just loved God. And, and I want to be that guy. So thanks for, thanks for kind of bringing it to us in the email that you sent last week. Just after you heard the podcast, you weren't like saying what you guys said was wrong, but you were like, I want to add something else. Like I get excited when I think about David. And that's the beautiful thing is that it's not who committed more heinous sin. It's not comparing and contrasting who's more sinful. What we're seeing is who's faithful. Yeah. You know, it's not about how good of things you do. Did I conquer more Philistines or did I, you know, whatever. It's, it's David wasn't a man after God's own heart because he conquered Goliath. He wasn't a man after God's own heart because he was, you know, um, a better harpist or, you know, yeah. or he did less heinous sin than Saul. He was a man after God's own heart because he was faithful. And he loved God and he felt and he just danced before God. Like right. he he aligned his heart with God. I, I love that. And actually, when, the passage... We're going to look at this week in Romans at the end of chapter one into two. It's like we all fall short. We're all a mess, but it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance and it's going to draw us in. And something about David just wanted to be near God and Peter wanted to be near Jesus, even in his flaws. He's like, I know, where else would I go? I love, that's probably my favorite line in the whole Bible. Peter's like, I, I got nowhere else to go. You, you, have know? The words. you have the word of truth, you know, like, and I feel like that's kind of where David was. He's yeah. like, yeah. And how should that encourage us then? Like, what does that mean for us when we look at that true compare and contrast between Saul and David and really looking at even Jacob and Esau? Like, what does that mean for us? How, how can that encourage you right now? Yeah, I think for me, it'd be like, okay, the idea of I'm living in a palace, God's living in a tent. You, All of us are going to, there's going to be the guilt. What do they call it? Like first world problems or whatever. Like, even if you don't have a lot living in America. So instead of like feeling guilty about it, do something about it. Say, okay, God, thank you for this nice car you gave me. Thank you for this nice house. Thank you for all this food. Like, God, how can I honor you? How can I love you? How can I, you know, give you my time or my resources? How can I love you and and love others? Like, so I think it'd be when you acknowledge something, when God moves in your heart, you just say, okay, God, Oh, I want to change. I want to grow, and not beating yourself up over and over again. That that's where legalism comes in, because then it's more. Then it turns back to you, but saying, "Okay, God, what what can I do to serve you today? How can I dance before you?" Yeah, 
that's uh you know jesus overcomes our flaws to be able to even do that to be able to even have that friendship you know jesus overcame and uh just thinking how cool it was that you know jesus showed himself to david you have the uh the ending of matthew where jesus is arguing with the pharisees where he says you know who's uh is is uh, the messiah really you know david's son if he says lord right so you have this uh, picture in the New Testament where Jesus even says that David made Jesus Lord. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think... Uh, and they didn't dispute it. When Jesus tells the yeah. Pharisees that quote, they don't argue back, oh, you're wrong, you, that's a misinterpretation. They're like, oh. That's that's not yeah. talking about the Messiah, right? Yeah, they, yeah. Everyone understood yeah. that. They, uh, they knew what David... They were like, wow, he's right. David did acknowledge something that we... Yeah. And, and to just know that, you know, Jesus is that cornerstone, you know, and Paul talks about he is the cornerstone that we're building on, you know, whether it's a church or even in our personal relationships with God, Jesus is the cornerstone. And to just be uh, asking God, you know, Luke 11, you know, Jesus says, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And it's like, you know, to, to have that fight of Jacob asking for more of the Spirit, for more you know, more growth in our personal relationships with mm-hmm. God. And it's like, God answers that. It's his desire, you know, from John. He, he strongly desires to give us the kingdom. And I think that's one of the things that for us, we say at Waypoint Church a lot, is that God doesn't want fruitfulness from us. He'll produce it. He calls us to faithfulness. And that faithfulness comes like, like this dogged pursuit that Jacob had. That says, God, I need you. I want you. I need you more. You know, this way that David would say, God, I want to dance. I My expression of my emotion cannot be contained. I need to express. I need to give. Because you stir up. You move in me. There's something about you, God, that I want and crave and need. You fulfill my soul in such a manner that I can't help. Because by faith and by belief in you and who you are that moves me that stirs me in such a compassionate way and when we're not feeling that which is okay for some of us who struggle with that i love what you say is that you knock mm-hmm. you ask you seek you pursue like jacob did and the amazing thing is i just this just came to my mind who are the two people who set the narrative up who pursue and just go after it? ruth and uh um i'm forgetting her name Han- hannah ruth and hannah they set the narrative up. True, they prepare right. us for David. Like the story of Ruth is to get us to David. It's this right. Moabite woman who's like, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going after it hard. And she's an example. And then and then Hannah is yeah. the example of, Pray no, I'm going to have a child. I will give the child back to you. So even David himself, the man after God's own heart, you see that it's so beautiful how the scripture is, that we get the story of Ruth and we get the story of Hannah. And we get Hannah's prayer and praise to God. And it sets the stage for the narrative to get us to Chronicles where we can be like, wow, God is going to set up this king and, and then Jesus fulfills it. And yes, yeah, it's, it's good news. And yes. it, it, so we want to have the heart of David, the heart of Ruth, the heart of Jacob, the heart of Hannah that pursues after God. And ultimately, this, this pursuit was our faithfulness, this faithfulness that I've seen all throughout the Old Testament was ultimately fulfilled in saying, hey, manifested, not only fulfilled, but completed in the arrival of Jesus. Jesus said, okay, this pursuit that you have, this, this beautiful faithfulness that you have, is now you see the Messiah come. And you hear Mary's prayer, which echoes Hannah's prayer, which yeah. echoes, you know, there's this beautiful fulfillment prayer. 
you know? And so as, as, as much pursuing that we have, God is even much more so fulfilling the promises that he has and meets our pursuit. And even Paul uses the word, run the race with That's perseverance. Right. You know, press on, like the, the language that we can do this, yep. you know? And that's the beautiful thing is that it's the call to faithfulness. Yeah. And we, we don't need to beat ourselves up if we're not, if we're not there, right? And we can ask yeah. as the, um, the, the man with the uh, diseased son who was being thrown to the ground asked for more faith, you know, saying, mm-hmm. hey, I'm not there yet, Jesus. Would you help, would you help me? Yeah. That's right. The centurion, one of my favorite prayers is, I believe, help my unbelief. Yeah. Uh, well, guys, thank you so much. This is a wonderful, quick little dive into the book of Samuel and the book of Chronicles. And as honestly, it has helped me bring more to life and more fulfillment and joy out of the Old Testament when we truly see these things that are sometimes hard to not hard to see when you're reading by yourself. You know, so I appreciate you guys. You guys uh, bring so much into this conversation, and I hope people who are listening talk to other people. You know, there are other people in the church who would love to share their insights of the scriptures with you. would love to encourage you on your journey. And guys, I know it's hard. I know we're about nine months into our Bible reading plan, but stay with us. Um, keep on reading. Keep on pursuing. And ask God for more, um, more of a desire. Ask Him to meet you in this time. I promise you it is worth it because that's not just by promise. That's God's love to us as well. I love you guys and have a great day. Hey, right, thanks, guys. Yeah. Take care, guys. <laughs>